Hello, friends, and welcome to But I Digest. My name is Hans Rufert. And I'm Steve McDonough. Thank you so much for joining us. But I Digest is a semi-regular podcast that celebrates the food in all of our lives, the history, the heroes, and all of the glorious hoopla surrounding food. Every episode, we try to feature a specific food and then meander through its backstory, this week digging up the choicest and the ugliest and the strangest tubers along the way. And between Steve and I, our combined knowledge is just enough to be properly informed, yet whimsically irresponsible. So let's grab our shovels and prepare to dig in because today's food topic is potatoes. All right, so potatoes is a uh, it's a small food, but a giant topic. So uh, Steve, you're gonna have to keep me on task <laughs> during this because uh, not only is it a food that I love because being German, we eat lots of potatoes, uh, but I'm also a plant nerd. And so I might start going down the wrong path. Gar- so Wrong garden path. Well, I am English, so I do know from a, uh, a potato. Growing up, we had three things on my plate, a meat, a veg, and a potato. And without the potato, the plate was one third empty. So I am a fan of the tuber. I, me too. And I, I would go potatoes first. I, and honestly, and then the next day, anything with a fried potato and an egg on top is breakfast. So whatever the leftover was, you make a hash or you make a cottage fries or whatever. Love it. Oh, that sounds so good. I, and I'm going to throw this in because I, I have never had a, uh, a tatty scone which is a Scottish breakfast uh, potato. So what they do is they take like leftover mashed potatoes. It's exactly what you're talking about, leftover mashed potatoes. I'm sold. And they cook them really thinly in as um, in a round, uh, a round pan, cut it into triangles. And so it gets, you put butter on it, it gets kind of crispy on the outside and not quite mashed potato anymore on the inside, more of like that kind of texture of French fries or something, Ooh, do you yeah. know that kind of soft potato? Yeah. Yeah, 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 now yeah. you're gonna take that with your leftover potatoes in the morning with some eggs, some baked beans, if we're talking Scottish and English, maybe some roasted uh, broiled tomatoes. So yeah, I'm. I, it's my new thing is a tatty scone. Wow, we've already we're already at the recipe. So I'm going to skip what my whole idea and going to go with that. That sounds amazing. Doesn't that um, sound great? Yeah, uh, that, patty but, is uh, is Scottish for potato. I I didn't I had no idea. I thought that was what uh, when you're dancing that you you know there no those are those are uh, pasties. I'm getting my terms confused. But okay, uh, anyway, so back back on track. I I have nothing to say. Okay, let's let's keep going. Let's uh, okay, keep going. so uh, let's, <laughs> yeah, ah! just, we're already we're talking uh, topless potatoes. So let let me start with my plant nerdiness because. Uh, you might have heard the term nightshade or deadly nightshade, which if you're trying to sell a food, the marketing department got that all wrong by calling the plant a deadly nightshade. So let me let me just kind of again define terms. Foods or plants like tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, potatoes, and even tobacco are all a member of this family called Solanaceae. And again, food nerd alert and plant nerd alert. But essentially, they're toxic, right? Or at least their uh, sort of primitive ancestors were absolutely poisonous. And they had this uh, compound in them called solanine and also tomatine. And that's the derivation of the word tomato. And they're toxic compounds that are inherent in the plant that help defend that plant against attacks from different organisms like fungus or bacteria, uh, wild animals, or even human beings. And so these were pretty much foods uh, that native people in South America, because that's where potatoes and, and most of these nightshade plants are from sort of Central and South America, they watched wild animals eating these poisonous foods. But before they would eat these poisonous plants, they would eat or lick clay. So in Peru in particular, there's a wild cousin of the llama or the llama called a vicuña. 
And every time they would eat these plants, they would also eat this clay and the toxins, the potatoes would then be absorbed by the clay particles in the animal stomachs and effectively neutralizing that. And so the indigenous people of Peru and Bolivia and the Andes Mountains uh, basically took a toxic plant and made it edible by observing these wild llamas, which I kind of think is a great idea. I think we should watch wild llamas uh, for a lot of life notes. Hans, I uh, got to tell you, that was well done. Well, thank interesting you. Interesting little bit of nightshade information. I, I think all that stuff is is amazing. Now, as as we humans do, we were really good about selective breeding and developing foods to kind of our needs, right? I mean, if you look at what is the original corn versus what corn is today and all of these foods, the watermelon versus what it is today. And the same with the potato is it, again, it, they took a poisonous plant essentially and have bred those toxins over time and selective breeding to where it became this uh, edible plant. But when Europeans first brought the potatoes, and by this point in the 1500s, they were not deadly toxic, not the, the, the potato itself was not. Now, the plant parts could be, uh, but the reputation was already shot to hell. So when the potatoes came back in the 1500s, people were totally suspicious of them. They were thought to be evil. They were <laughs> Some people thought that they uh, caused leprosy uh, or even cancers because, again, the, the tubers themselves look almost like a, like a weird growth, right? So oh, yeah, yeah horrible reputation. Number one, we're calling them deadly nightshades, not a selling point. Number two, they're ugly, dirty, round, you know, kind of ground apples, as the French call them. But this is why they had in Toy Story, it was Don Rickles' voice. Oh, is because it? if you're going to cast like a deadly tuber, yeah, Don, Don Rickles, Rickles. Now, now I understand it. Yeah, he, uh, Don Rickles reminds me of my dad and that uh, totally no filter whatsoever. Very, very uh, earthy kind of, kind of sense of earthy. humor. I love nice. that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and dirty at times as well. Um, <laughs> Lots of eyes. Yes, indeed. Uh, on the back of his head sometimes. So anyway, as as the potato makes its way to Europe, a lot of sort of the people understood that we need to adopt this uh, this crop because it grows underground. It, it's tolerant to a lot of different soils con conditions. You get more yield than you do from, say, a wheat or a grain. It's It's just this perfect plant. But if nobody eats it, it's not a perfect plant. So the uh, the trick really was in trying to get the common man or the, even the common farmer to adopt it. It was slowly adopted as animal food because they at least saw the benefit of, well, I don't want to eat it, but at least we can fatten our pigs and our, and our cows. But over time, it finally kind of took roots, uh, pun intended. And uh, it first appeared in an encyclopedia about food, a guy named uh, Dennis Diderot in, gosh, 1750s. He kind of was putting together a compendium of enlightenment. And he basically said, no matter how you prepare it, uh, excuse me, no matter how you prepare it, the root is tasteless and starchy. It cannot be regarded as an enjoyable food, but it <laughs> provides abundant, reasonably healthy food for men who want nothing but sustenance. Uh, he oh. also went on to say that the potato is windy, meaning it causes gas. Uh, <laughs> but ultimately, he gave it his uh, two thumbs up uh, and said, what is windiness to the strong bodies of peasants and laborers? Oh, tell that uh, to Dan. Tell tell that to, <laughs> to my husband. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, what is windy? What um, is windiness? It's, it's just I, my strong body, my... And, my that's strong exactly labor right. body. And, and you guys are in the Windy City. And so that's uh, you're on theme. If we are. So. It is now that I'm here. So, <laughs> uh, so again, there, the all of the negatives, the potato is slowly overcoming its uh, its negative kind of reputation. But my favorite part is, um, again, as 
uh, Europe is is growing, they're having more and more famines. And so all throughout the 18th century, famines ravaged Europe and led to the starvation of thousands of people. So across the continent in, in uh, the UK as well or in Great Britain, uh, they also had loads of famines. And essentially what was happening is the population was growing faster than uh, grains could support that population. So they needed to to augment their food. And so King Friedrich the Great, also known as Old Fritz, he was the king of Prussia in, uh, in the 1700s. And Prussia is now part of, uh, of modern Germany. In fact, my father was born in Prussia and always considered himself to be uh, a Prussian. Uh, so that's that sort of northeast part of Germany, some of which was given to Poland after World War II. But our old Fritz, our, our sort of hero in the potato story, he recognized- hey, let, me, let me interrupt yeah, you yeah. and ask you a question. Sure. So it, this is 1700s. Yeah. Uh, people didn't live as long. Like, do you know how old old Fritz was? That's a good question. No, I didn't see how actually old he was. He might have been he was 17. Like, yeah, right. He was probably like 25. Old Fritz. Yeah, that's just true. Wondering. That's a that's a good point. Okay, um, I just uh, I just put you in a bad position. I'm so sorry that you oh, didn't like really study well. Oh man, but you know, you my must, the, you must be really embarrassed. People in the 1700s weren't good about uh, you know notes and dates and those kind of things. They didn't even know it was AD or BC or uh, ACDC. They didn't they knew none of those things uh, back then. So anyway, so our uh, our old Fritz here was smart enough to recognize that we needed affordable and nourishing foods for the masses, essentially. But his folks were not having it. So he actually put out royal decrees that the Prussian, the Prussian people were supposed to eat potatoes. He put they were called the Kartoffelbefehle or the official <laughs> the potato orders. I saw you about to laugh right then. Our, our, our listeners. Can't I was. See. I almost spilled my wine. Yeah, damn it. So, yeah, the German word for potato is Kartoffel, which is a wonderful, you know, silly sounding name. But uh, the Kartoffel. Oh, what's the word? Yeah, say it again. Kartoffel. No, no, the whole thing. Oh, Kartoffelbefehle. Uh, and, and in typical German words, you know, they just keep adding words together into they need their own zip code. They become so such long words. So he did these official decrees. And quite honestly, sometimes when somebody gives you an official decree, you want to do the exact opposite. So that plan didn't work. Right. People just are like, you can tell me to eat these things. I'm going to eat these things. So here is the stroke of genius and why I am uh, elevating old Fritz to our hero. He decided, well, if people can't be told to do it, I have a plan. So he created a royal potato field and he did them actually several of them all around Berlin. And he sent his soldiers to guard those fields and basically creating this sort of exclusivity, like this is royal stuff. And but he instructed the guards that if someone comes to steal these potatoes, because again, people are hungry, they're getting pretty desperate, they know there's food over there, and there are, you know, royal guards out there, they were told to essentially act like you're asleep or look the other way. In other words, he kind of realized that if we put this as an off-limit thing, people are going to go above and beyond to try to steal them. And he got that idea from the tulip thieves, you know, in the Netherlands that became a thing in the Royal Gardens. The common folks were going and stealing tulip bulbs because they wanted to have those bulbs for themselves. So he thought, I'll try the same thing with the potatoes. And damn it, it worked. Um, so again, the, the guards were ordered to pretend like they were sleeping, to look the other way. And basically, people not only stole the tubers, they started stealing the whole plants and planting them in their own gardens. So within three decades, they went from being this villainized, you know, ground tumor to being the, the most popular food in Germany. And I think that is a hell of a marketing ploy. Uh, and a wonderful success story. People want uh, what they can't have. I, I think that's great. It, it, he literally created this exclusivity. Now, fun fact, old Fritz himself really didn't like potatoes 
you know, personally. And the records of his chef say that he pretty much didn't want to eat them. But in modern German cuisine, it is pretty much the the staple. Um, and it, all across Europe and across the world, uh, it has absolutely become the most popular starch. And in fact, it is the fifth most popular crop worldwide, excuse me, worldwide after wheat, corn, rice, and sugarcane. So long way to go for a little lowly ground tuber. It is quite a kartoffel kerfuffle. <laughs> I love it. Why didn't I think of that? I, you know what? I really don't know. I'm shocked that you didn't already Yeah, have that, that sounds like a Hans pun there. But it you, sure does. You beat me there. I will tell you that the potato is, like I said, a big part of my diet. And mashed potatoes are my, my favorite food. They really are mashed potatoes. I had mashed potatoes all the time, much to my sister's dismay. My sister didn't really like them, but my mother made them all the time because she loves me more than my sister. Well, I have a quick question. What's the difference between a mashed and a smashed potato? I have my idea, but I see that being used interchangeably all the time. Do you have a thought on mashed versus smashed? Four dollars. Oh, there you go. It's the upcharge. Yeah, it's just, you know, smashed potato. Get the get out of here. <laughs> you know, and plus smashed potatoes, they're so often with the skin. Yeah. And which, you know what? I call laziness. Yeah, I, I'm I, with you. You know, if you're going to make mashed potatoes, you need to take the time. You're going to peel the potato, cut the potato, boil it, mash it with just butter, milk, salt, and pepper. That's all you need. And when people leave the red skin, oh, it's a red skin smashed potato. You are lazy and you haven't done your job. And I will pay you a portion. When you finish finish preparing these properly, I will pay you full. But right now I'm taking 10% off. Yep. I agree. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan, which is why what I wanted to talk about today and really look into was the whole idea of a um, instant mashed potatoes, because I find them offensive and I want to hold them accountable. So I was, and I don't get it. I don't get it because I, it doesn't, it doesn't take a long time to make mashed potatoes. And when I was doing some research on this and I'm seeing people say, oh, there's no peeling and boiling and cutting. Well, get the hell out of How long is it taking you? <laughs> yeah, you know? well, you know, if they uh, if you get a, an IV, there's no chewing or swallowing. You can just move the potato directly intravenously if you're going to take it to that level. Thank you, Hans. <laughs> Instant potatoes are the IV of the tuber. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, and you really should not be able to pour mashed potatoes. No. Therefore. So I was looking at the different types of dehydrated potatoes. Spoiler alert, this story does not end as I thought it would. Hmm. I will tell you now that I have gained a respect for the potato flake that I did not expect. It's a redemption story, people. <laughs> like, get oh, no. set, buckle up. It's a redemption story. So dehydrated potatoes, you were talking about South America. So in the 13th century, the Incans would make what is called chuno, chunyo. And uh, they would freeze their potatoes. It goes back to the 13th century. They'd take small potatoes after the fall harvest, right? They'd spread them out on the ground and they'd freeze overnight. And in the morning, they would take them, they'd scrape off all of the ice crystals, and then they would dehydrate in the daytime sun. They'd do this for a couple of nights, freezing, heating, freezing, heating. And once they reached where they, the point that they wanted them to, they would trample them by foot to release whatever extra water is left and remove the skin. See, even the Incans would remove the skin, you damn smashed potato bastards. Well, yes, and, and going, going a call back to what I had said, that toxin was mainly in the skin. 
And I actually, I kind of came across what you're talking about. So that process of, of kind of you know, leaching out the water and removing the skins removed that, um, that solanine, which was where the, the poison compounds were. So it had that benefit as well. It made them less toxic. I, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Do you know once that they finished this process, do you know how long these potatoes could last? I, you know, beyond their sell-by date. Decades. Oh, wow. Decades. So that that was like the, the first of the dehydrated potatoes. So in the 1920s, the potato granule was developed for the military. So in the 1920s, scientists understood that when they are drying and heating the potatoes in that way, that the potato cells would separate. And once the potato cells were separated, they could dry even further. And that's what led to the potato granules. So the problem that they had was trying to feed the military during World War II. They were dehydrating onions and they wondered, can we do this with the potato? Can we literally lighten the load, the shipping load, and get these guys potatoes? So they figured out this way, as I said, to make mashed potato granules. So here are the soldiers, the veterans in the military in the 20s. They're eating powdered eggs, dry milk, dehydrated onions, and these mashed potato granules. So this is what they're subsisting on. So when RT French, the company RT French, you know, French's mustard, when they decided that they were going to get this commercially produced in the 50s, it didn't go over so well because it had been so overexposed to a great deal of Americans that they just weren't that interested in it. So it didn't go so great. The thing about these, um, this type of granule, it is hot water soluble. So it makes it good for binding. You can, uh, you can use it in baking. You can use it in soups. Uh, you can make extruded fries with these. Hmm. So that that's kind of the granule. So, but it's not really very popular. And the granule is what you see when you're thinking of those terrible potatoes in food service, industri industrial service, like hospitals. And, and when they when they make those weird shapes, like smiley faces and all that stuff too, I imagine that's that kind of stuff too, right? They well, form them at this them. point. They at this point, there's more about uh, flakes, potato flakes. Hmm. In the 1950s two uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture researchers developed a drum drying patent. So the potatoes are blanched and then they're cooled. Now this hardens the cells. What they're trying to do here is not separate the cells. They don't want to rupture the cell because when you rupture the cell, that's what causes the rubbery texture, the pastiness and the gumminess. So they're being blanched and cooled and then cooked and mashed. And then they're being uh, crushed by rollers on the surface of a drum. So it's very thinly on these surfaces of the drum, and then it's fast dried until it gets to the proper uh, humidity level and scraped off. Once it's scraped off, you get a potato flake. Now, this is the redemption story because the potato flake, when I'm studying this, it's just potato. It's only dried potato. So I thought, why am I, why am I so up in arms about this? Because really, it's truly just dried potato. It's not filled with with all kinds of chemicals. It's just a potato. Yeah. And I've had it in some pretty interesting ways. No, number one, I'm still like my head is reeling at the uh, I feel like it was on a fast spinning drum <laughs> because there's some science going on here. I feel like exactly. there's more science went into this than creating a, a, a vaccine. There's some pretty amazing science happening. It is right. And of all of the different types of dry potatoes, the flakes are the only ones that can also be reconstituted in cold water. Everything else is only hot water soluble. So this can be used in a bunch of other food products. And the flake that we use today uh, was further developed by a man named uh, Edward Asselberg. He could mash potato. He could <laughs> mash potato. He could do the twist. He could, 
you know what that is, of course. I, that right? I know. Yeah. 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 Uh, do you love it's, me? It's not from Broadway. So I know that one. It, it is not from Broadway, but I will. Uh, speaking of Broadway, I used to work in a restaurant in New York City called the Dynomat. It was based on the the old automat with Horton Hardart. Do you, do you know what yeah. those are, Hans? That's like kind of like where you put the coins in. It was almost like a giant vending machine restaurant. Exactly. In the 1950s, for those of you who don't know, there was hot foods behind these little glass doors, mashed potatoes and a plate of meatloaf. And you put in a nickel, open up the door and get this hot food. And in the 1980s, they made a restaurant based on it called the Dynomat. And every single time it, we, we were those jerk waiters that is supposed to be like that Ed DeBevix kind of, you know, really pushy, annoying waiter. We'd like eat their fries. If somebody said my coffee's cold, we'd stick our finger in it and go, <laughs> feels good to me and keep walking. Oh God, what asses. But that's what they wanted. And every single time, do you love me? play do you love me every single yeah. time it played we had to drop what we were doing walk away from the customers and dance wow we had a whole choreographed dance to do you love me yeah could you imagine so, being like a foreign tourist and coming to that restaurant as your first uh, impression of the united states oh it's and a great like, impression what the hell am i what if i walk uh, it's into? so american it's so american i've got my finger in your coffee and then i get up and start <laughs> dancing it's completely american so we'd be dancing to do you love me and then of course you know one random woman would walk in carrying a watermelon well, uh, that, I, I carried yeah. a watermelon i carried a watermelon i don't know that one you don't wait wait famous movie scene there's a big dance going on with Do You Love Me? The main character, wa oh, okay. Hans, ladies and gentlemen, it's I time don't. for <laughs> Stop the Straight Guy. Yeah, I, I thought we were thought we were off of Broadway for a minute here. Oh, no. Well, this is a movie. This is a movie. Wait, hang Although on. I do believe it was made I, into a Broadway. Is this Dirty Dancing? Did I get to my questions yet? Oh, I'm so I'm sorry. I, I'm just first, had the first a... thing I have to do. Yes, God damn it, you ruined the whole thing. Yes, it's dirty <laughs> dancing. I didn't stump you. Oh, yes. but you know, I my, my sister looked a little bit like Jennifer Gray, and so that that it all came back to me. I remember her saying that, so I got it. I can't I stump you. you this week. Yes, Dang it's it. dirty dancing. I carried a watermelon. Well, hey, look, I I'm allowed to get one every now and then. <laughs> but hold on, I should also tell everybody if you've been listening. Last week, I should start giving answers. Don't you oh think? yeah, I still don't last know. Last week's stump the straight guy was what 1970s Broadway musical by. Stephen Schwartz had the song. It opened with the song Prepare Ye the Way of the Lord. And it had Turn Back, Oh Man, By My Side. And the show was Godspell. I've day never, by day. Never heard of it. Never heard of Godspell? No, I've never heard of it. All right. Forget the. I was just giving you points for Dirty Dancing, but you've blown that. So anyway, Edward Asselberg. Remember we were talking about him 20 yep. minutes ago? Yep. Edward Asselberg's. He was a Dutch Canadian guy. He was originally born in the Netherlands. His family fled in World War II. And he figured out the best way to make these flakes. Now, the purpose of this invention that he was doing was to create foods that were fortified with protein for use in nutrient uh, deficient countries. The original idea was to mix the potatoes maybe into fish or meat, make like a half potato, half fish dish. Sounds kind of like croquettes. Yeah, to me. sounds good. Um, and he also thought it would be good for military rations and weekend campers, but it didn't pick up. The um, industry wasn't interested in them. But he did have another invention, which was really cool. Would you like to know about this? I would. He made an infrared apple peeler, infrared apple peeler. So the apple goes through this infrared tunnel at 4,000 degrees centigrade. Whoa. The steam builds up under the skin, right? And then it can't escape the skin. So it just builds up pressure and the skin pops off of the apple. That's, I can't even imagine 4,000 degrees Celsius. From from what I read, that that's what it said. Wow. So I was reading. Uh, there's not a lot of information about him, but I found this 
uh, and he was died in the '90s. This what you know this this a recent guy. So I read this uh, article by this Canadian video artist. His name is Steve Renke. He's a video artist, as I said. He lives in Chicago. He's an art professor at Northwestern. So he was really interested by this, and he wanted to interview Edward Asselbergs, and he was super disappointed because. <laughs> He said that Asselbergs remembered things differently than he wanted him to remember them. <laughs> and he thought the potato flakes would be a great subject. He thought, you know, they'd be mundane, but it potentially was going to make them all glamorous, much like I'm trying to do here and, and failing, much like Mr. Reinke. We're both failing at making the potatoes <laughs> glamorous. So he said that Reinke told, excuse me, Asselbergs told Reinke, you don't really want to talk to me about the, about the potato. You want to talk to me about the infrared apple peeler. And Reinke was really annoyed because he's like, he was right. It is a beautiful lost machine, he said. He said it's abandoned technology. And he said, here's some quotes, an almost hypothetical invention. I invite you to think of the metaphoric possibilities. The apples marched through a triangle of infrared, their skins rubbed off between enormous soft rotating pillows. Instead, I'll be thinking about the potato pulled from the ground and transformed into a box of snow, which could in any appropriate season fall from the enormous fake sky. Oh, wow. That's, I that's want poetry. I love that. me who, whoever has written such a gorgeous I love paragraph it. about a potato flake. Yeah, I love it. Mr. Reinke. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I read that over and over. I'm like, I, I, I can't do this episode without talking about the, the the metaphor of pulling a potato from the ground and it becomes snow. Oh, my God. If old Fritz could have used those words, he would have got the Germans eating potatoes in five minutes. <laughs> All right. So this is what I did. I thought I had to continue learning a bit about this. So last night, Dan made a uh, pork tenderloin. Delicious. And we had four different types of mashed potato flakes. You didn't invite me, by the way. Yeah, well, no, I, I didn't. This would not, the mashed potato flakes would not have been worth the trip from Georgia. All right, so I went over to, I was in I was in rural Michigan, so I went over to Walmart, which is the biggest store around. And I got the following flakes, and I'll tell you how they did, all right? I got Idahoan, which is a very popular brand. I got Hungry Jack. I got Great Value, which is the, the Walmart brand. Yep. And I got a box of Idahoan instant mashed potatoes, which is different from the non-flavored flakes, as we said. We made them all according to directions, and the directions to all of them were pretty much the same. So, and I wanted them to succeed. So, you know, I, I, we tried really hard. And they weren't really that bad. The loser was the Idahoan. They were, um, we found them very white and watery, uh, least amount of flavor. Then came the great value. They were kind of grainy and pasty and really weirdly smooth, hmm. but very potatoey in flavor. Then came the instant mashed potatoes. So the instant mashed potatoes are just a flake, right? But they've got the dried buttermilk and the spices in there. And those were really surprisingly serviceable. They had a good potato mouthfeel. Dan thought they had a bit of a, a chemical weird flavor, a slight chemical weird flavor. I didn't really find it. I thought they were pretty serviceable. I think uh, I think that should be on the box. Serviceable, <laughs> but with a weird chemicalness to them. That's that's not up to the same level as the uh, of the the potato cloud sky. The I know, I know. They should get Ranky to write the yeah, write the descriptive yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, and the winner was Hungry Jack. They were a little more yellow. They were tasty and uh, kind of buttery. They had better texture. As Dan said, all of these made um, 
good basis to be yeah. doctored. So I was really surprised with the potato flake. I, I don't really want to carry them, but they weren't they weren't nearly as bad as I expected. There was one wild card. Would you like to hear about that? Oh, of course. Trader Joe's. This is Trader the Trader Joe's, Joe's uh, flakes. No, this is why it's a wild card. Trader Joe's has a frozen mashed potato. So they make they make the whole thing and the, and the ingredients are really very fair. It's just potatoes and butter, milk, salt, really pretty decent ingredients. They make the mashed potato and they extrude them and cut them into like pucks. So you buy a bag of these pucks. Oh. Now you would take a handful. You can take as many as you want, put them in a saucepan with just a little water to, to help them cook up again from frozen so they don't stick to the pot. Or you can put in a little milk instead or a little bit of uh, a little bit of chicken stock. You're not trying to reconstitute them. You're just trying to keep them from burning. Yep. And I will tell you, I was so surprised. If I were doing, say, like, you know, we had some leftover chicken that we just wanted to microwave. You can take some of these, throw them in a pan, and then take whatever's left in the bag and just keep it in the freezer and just grab a handful for one person, two people. It's really, I, I was surprised at what a decent product that was. So that is my mashed potato, just kind of a terribly studied um, <laughs> experiment here. But those are my answers. I think it's a bonus. And for the price that we are paying for this information, I think you cannot go wrong. Now, and honestly, the uh, the Trader Joe's, I'm going to get some of those and put them in my freezer because there are so many times that my youngest, Heidi, who's six, is craving mashed potatoes. And as much as I love her, sometimes I just don't feel like making a pot of mashed potatoes. So I'll pick some of those up. Nine minutes. Oh, I love it. That's uh, all and, it then, and then I'm going to call Trader Joe's and see about uh, maybe possibly being a sponsor because we've given them a lot of uh, a lot of endorsement time. <laughs> hey, hey let's give a little Hungry Jack, too. Maybe they could throw us something. I don't think Idahoan is going to give us anything. Uh, you know, Idahoan, um, but, you know, uh, <laughs> let's get to some food and drink. It's time for recipes. The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you cook. So if you uh, remember, there's going to be a quiz here. What's the German word for potatoes? Kartoffelbefellen. Well, that, that's the, that's the, you get bonus points. That's the whole thing. That's the potato decree. But the potato is just kartoffel. So you, kartoffel. Got, uh, you get bonus points. So yes, kartoffel. So I have eaten many a potato and I've had them uh, so many different ways. But in, in all over Europe, there's, uh, there's so many types of potatoes. Uh, not as many as Peru. They have 5,000 registered versions of potatoes in Peru. But in Germany, there's waxy, there's fluffy, there's, you know, here we have three or four at the, at the supermarket. But there you have really 15 or 20. But the, the one that I like the most is closest to what we have, which is the Yukon Gold here. So it's it's kind of it's not the fluffy baked potato. It's got a little bit of waxiness, but it, it's just a great consistency, great flavor. Buttery, so, best for mashed potatoes. Oh, yeah, the they, they're gold. fantastic. Yes. So but what I'm talking about today is really less of a recipe, per se, and more of a style. And these are called Salzkartoffeln, which basically translates to salt potatoes. And this was our family go to not only in my household, but also when I would go to visit family overseas. And my aunt, um, Tanta is the word for aunt. Her first name was Putzi, P-U-T-Z-I. So Tanta Putzi, uh, which I know that sounds like an innuendo, but... Putzi Candleback. Putzi Candleback. 
Uh, Please tell me you know what that I is. I don't. Young Frankenstein. Oh, come on, you should know that. That's not a stump the straight guy. I, it's been a while. It's my bad memory, but no, I love uh, Young Frankenstein. So anyway, what uh, what she would do, uh, I spent a couple summers in Norway with uh, with my aunt and uncle, and uh, we were on a boat much of, the, much of the time. And so she would literally take seawater. But if you're making this at home and you don't have clean seawater, you're basically getting water that tastes like the sea. So you want to salt it up to where you're basically making a brine, you know, the consistency or the salinity of of the sea, not from New Jersey <laughs> uh, beach. But uh, uh, anyway, you're you're basically boiling your peeled potatoes in salt water, that salty ocean water. When they are done, knife tender, you drain the excess liquid off, you put the lid back on there, and then you vigorously shake the potatoes to where they smash up against the lid. So you get a little bit of a, a upper arm workout, uh, but you are smashing those potatoes they're still somewhat semi-solid, but they're bruised, and that kind of makes them fluffy on the outside. They're crumbly fluffy on the outside, but still kind of dense and waxy. I don't mean waxy in a bad way, not like the wax you have on cheese, but waxy describes a potato. It's got that kind of firmness to it. So it's like you get the best of both types of potatoes in one potato. They're the perfect saltiness. That fluffiness on the outside absorbs any sauce or butter beautifully. Uh, you can eat them with the back of a fork. You know how you kind of mash as you eat them, kind of mixing it into yeah, the sauce. Yeah. It is the best way, I think, to eat a potato. And it's also, again, not a lot of hoopla, although we like hoopla, uh, not a lot of preparation in that you're just cooking them till the knife tender. You give them that vigorous shake. They fall out of the pot and they are absolutely perfect potatoes. So there's your that, salt cut off. That sounds great. That I love that. Uh, I am going to do a cocktail. And of course, if we're talking potatoes, there's not a lot of spirits made with potatoes other than sometimes Hans. Vodka, uh, vodka um, yep. which, which comes to mind. Yeah, vodka is not made very much with potatoes. It's usually made with different grains, but there are some potato vodkas. Uh, Russians aren't really drinking much potato vodka anymore because you know you can't really grow potatoes in the frozen ground. I uh, heard, yeah, this is nice to have some sunshine to grow pretty much anything. But if you have a potato vodka, now, now the reason I hardly ever drink vodka is vodka is distilled intentionally to be neutrally flavored. Now, I use all of my spirits as ingredients, same as you're cooking. So with vodka, I don't really understand the purpose of putting an ingredient in that's not going to add much flavor to a drink. Plus, we didn't really drink vodka till the 50s, so it doesn't really appear in very many pre-prohibition cocktails. So looking at this, I, I was looking at some potato vodka ideas. Now, a potato vodka does have a little more flavor because it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a slightly earthier flavor, maybe kind of more fruit cellar or kind of a mustiness and have kind of a more robust mouthfeel. So potato, potato vodka at least is going to be a little more of a of a recipe ingredient. So uh, I want to give you a quick quiz. I know hey, you love a quiz. <laughs> right? I, I love to fail. It's my favorite thing. No, no. Well, I like when you fail too. It's much more fun <laughs> for me. So, all right, here's here of these four statements about vodka, one is false. Okay, ready? Number one, until about 1885, Russian vodka was only salt in two gallon buckets. Mm, family size. Mm -hmm. Number two, after the Nazis surrendered to the Soviet Union uh, on May 9th, 1945, the Russians partied so hard the entire nation ran out of vodka. Oh, that's a party. Number three, in Siberia, there were two elephants, got so cold they suffered frostbite to the tips of their ears, but they were saved by two cases of vodka. Wow. Number four, at there is Idaho potato vodkas. 
Makes sense, right? Well, yeah. At least three of these different brands, different packages, different names, but at least three of these different brands of popular Idaho potato vodka are exactly the same product. So I'm I'm looking for the which one is false? One is false. Well, I have a hard time imagining that Russia, especially in 1945, when it was a really big place, could run out of vodka. So I'm going to go for number two, that that's, uh, that's, our, that's our false. I totally understand that. The thing is, on May 10th, 1945, there was no vodka in wow. Russia. There wow. was, they drank all the vodka. God bless. Wow. That's, yeah, that's impressive. The one that is uh, false is in 19, until about 1885, Russian vodka was only sold in two gallon buckets. It is false because until about 1885, Russian vodka was only sold in three gallon buckets. Golly. 3.2 gallon buckets. That's a workout though. You know, you've heard about like the eight ounce curls that, uh, or 16 ounce <laughs> curl. That's a, that's a little uh, bit heftier of a workout. So my drink, I was thinking about the potato vodka, you know, like I said, it's a, it's an ingredient now. So I thought the potato would go more with a uh, kind of vegetal flavors. Yeah. So I thought a Bloody Mary. And in this case, I'm making it with carrot juice. So I'm calling it a Bunny Mary. Oh, I love it. A little Bunny Mary. So it's um, potato vodka with carrot juice and ginger juice fresh lemon juice and some honey syrup. Now, the thing about the carrot juice and ginger juice, you can, of course, uh, make that yourself in your own juicer, or you can purchase these good cold, good quality cold-pressed juices. There is a company called the Ginger People that you know do everything, all things ginger. They now sell a ginger juice, which I always keep on hand in my bar because I love to get some fresh ginger. And if I, it's a better way to use it in a cocktail versus me always um, using the microplane to try to get it in there. I love it. I, I've seen at an Asian uh, supermarket, they actually had frozen ginger juice in uh, in little packets. So I've never used a product, but I thought that was a clever way of having that on hand. That's good too. Yeah, I think it's great to have ginger juice for your cocktails. I, there's a, definitely a place for it. And I thought this Bunny Mary is delightful. I, uh, I'm, I'm worried we're getting close to running this topic back into the ground. Uh, is that a potato joke? I, I was just the is whole. Is that like, really the best you could do like, for potato? The last joke? three minutes, I've been trying to think of a way to kind of bring. You've been this thinking about that in the past three minutes instead of listening to my Bunny Mary. I know I have been. Sweet. I've, I've contributed. Uh, no, but I would love a, a Bunny Mary. That sounds delicious. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm tapped out. I'm, I'm, un, I'm, un, I'm out of eyes. I'm out of spuds. The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you. All right, people, if you would like these recipes, please go to our website, butidigestpod.com. You can also visit us on Facebook, But I Digest Pod, and also Instagram and Twitter, But I Digest Pod. Come and visit us. We can't play, sadly, Stump the Straight Guy because he got to it. Ah. So that won't be on there this week. But show us what you are doing with your cartoffle. Let's have that cartoffle kerfuffle on Facebook. <laughs> Oh, we, we're gonna I'm, we're gonna brand out and we're gonna have our own uh, potato flakes. They're gonna be called the uh, the cartoffle carfuffle because it's such a such an opportunity. All right, are we done here? I am done. <laughs>